You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. everyone, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Hawking Time Lords. This is episode number 33, Death to the Daleks Story Review. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. You are an enemy of the Daleks. You will be exterminated. Exterminate. Exterminate. Exterminate! <laughs> What's up, man? How's it going, Paul? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm enjoying these. Uh, these are fun. It, it's yeah. it's nice to be back into the swing of these these Dalek episodes. I especially I'm enjoying them, with, especially with the Third Doctor. Yeah, yeah, John Pertwee's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and we are wrapping up our time with. John Pertwee's Third Doctor, uh, and his Dalek episodes today. There's not a a lot of anything else we need to go over, so I I guess we'll just jump right into things. Spoilers. We are going to be discussing Death to the Daleks which is a four-part Dalek story arc uh, that took place during John Pertwee's final season on the show. Um, the companion has changed. We had Joe Grant, our last two Dalek episodes. This time around, we've got the lovely Sarah Jane Smith, my favorite companion. And if you want to know more about her than you don't already know about her, go and listen to our Sarah Jane episode. Yes, yes, we, we did a, a nice little episode all about Sarah Jane Smith, because uh, she's awesome. But, before we jump into the, the plot details here, Paul, what are, your, what are your overall thoughts on Death to the Daleks? There were some good things, and there were some 
things. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say that it's my favorite, but it definitely isn't my least favorite. Okay. Uh, I feel like that, well, one of the things that I said before we started is I think this might be one that could possibly benefit from a special edition. Okay. Um, and, and I don't mean that because it's like specifically got bad effects in it or things like that. I just feel like that there are certain parts that could be a little bit more dramatic um, uh, because there's a, a few places in there where the story is good, the concept is good, the 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 event in the story that they're depicting is is good, but the execution might have benefited from a little bit, little bit better, more more modern effect. You know, the execution is lacking somewhat. Not because not because the how do you put it? Not because the uh, attempt wasn't well done, but right. because the the resources maybe were not as readily available, you know? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to be, I'm going to be similar with you that this is not my favorite of the Dalek episodes, uh, planet of the Daleks. I I said at the end of last episode, planet of the Daleks is likely going to be my favorite third doctor Dalek story arc. Uh, and after watching this, that is definitely correct. It's not a bad one, but it's not one that I think I would, go back to and just randomly decide to watch. Well, uh, there were also one or two things in there that almost felt a little bit like plot holes to me. And we can just, we can address that whenever we get to that point if you want. But, uh, yeah. you know, I just, I felt like that maybe there were a couple of things that they didn't a hundred percent think through, uh, on a couple of the story elements okay Uh, you know because it left me asking questions about well if this is this way then why is this other thing not this way you know (laughs) uh all right yeah now you have me intrigued so why don't we why don't we not a it's not a massive you know revelation it's just you know when these two things are linked, why is one affected by this event and the other not? That kind of thing. Okay. You know. All right. Well, why don't we jump into the the plot here? Uh, let's let's start getting into the meat of this episode so that we can mm-hmm. get to the, some of these issues that we have or don't have. <laughs> um, the Doctor is taking Sarah Jane to the planet Florana. For a little vacation. They're, they're basically going to the beach. Uh, Sarah Jane is all dressed and ready to go, you know, swimming at the beach. And she's getting all of her stuff together. And, you know, she's basically packing for a beach outing like anyone would. And the doctor is, you know, smiling and laughing at her. Some of the silly things that she's packing. Uh, when all of a sudden, the, the power in the TARDIS just goes out. It just sort of drains away. When they were going around and collecting all their beach things, Mm -hmm. uh, you know what it made me think about from the modern series? What? 
some of the scenes that you would see, uh, like with the doctor and Donna, uh, where they were, you know, just kind of having fun and hanging out and, mm-hmm. and just doing silly things before the story started or whatever. Okay. You know, uh-huh. it, was this, it was a very similar dynamic to that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I like, I like that callback. I thought that was pretty cool. Very nice. But the, the, the power in the TARDIS is drained away. Just all the lights go out. The power in the console goes out. The doctor flicks on the emergency systems. And those two get drained. Even like the flashlights. Mm-hmm. The torches, if you're over in the UK. Yeah. Uh, get their power drained. And the only thing that isn't drained is like the oil lamp that the doctor manages to pull out of a trunk. This was another one of those events, too, uh, where the doctor referred to the TARDIS as if it was a living thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, because of the way that he was referring to the TARDIS uh, to Sarah Jane, uh, he really gave her the impression that he was referring to it as a living thing, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's something that you really didn't see with the first two doctors. No, no, they they. They definitely up that sort of interaction between the Doctor and the TARDIS, uh, starting with John Pertwee. Uh, they may do it ever so slightly with Patrick Troughton, but they definitely ratcheted up a notch with John Pertwee. Yeah, um, it it was not as much of a of a plot point or whatever with the first two Doctors. No, uh, of course, because the power has been drained, the TARDIS has landed. You know executed an emergency landing and the doctor and Sarah Jane have to go out and find out what's going on. They step out onto this misty, dark world uh, that's basically all rocks and dirt and for, you know, various statue formations. The doctor said were once living things but are now petrified. It uh, looked, looked a little creepy. It did. It did. Uh. Um, of course, you know, when we get to the daytime shots, you realize this is probably, you know, Doctor Who quarry number seven. Um, <laughs> you will find that Doctor Who uses so many different quarries, so many different times yeah. uh, with this show. <laughs> <laughs> but they do set it up as if it's, you know, completely petrified, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Sarah Jane goes back into the TARDIS to change it to something a little bit more uh, weather appropriate. And the Doctor goes off exploring. He gets himself captured by the Exelons, who are the natives on this planet. Sarah finds the oil lamp that the Doctor had been carrying with his blood on it and manages to escape the Exelons for a little bit. Uh, These, uh, the robes and stuff these guys had on reminded me a little bit of... Uh, the uh the veil oh yeah a little bit you know, because of the 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 uh the tattered you know look to the fabric and everything uh and and the coloration and everything made it blend in with the rocks and stuff too yeah yeah they definitely blended in a lot with with their surroundings one of the interesting things though is that uh because the the talk the the tardis has no power 
they've cranked the door open using a hand crank, and so they've leave, left it open yeah. a crack. And so when she goes out looking for the doctor initially, an Exelon slips inside the TARDIS to see what's going on, you know, what this is all about. And initially, she runs back into the TARDIS to try and, you know, stay safe. And she cranks the door shut and turns around, and this Exelon is coming out from behind the TARDIS console. And she beats the snot out of him with the hand crank. <laughs> Uh, the, the thing is, you know, when I was watching that part, uh, I was thinking to myself, if I was a kid, that would have scared the air loving crap out of me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because <laughs> she turns around and there it is right in her face, you know, almost a jump scare. And yeah, you know, if I was, you know, I used to watch the episodes when I was, you know, eight, nine years old and. Uh, those types of scenes always got me, you know, it was always, ah, ah, they got me again, you know, <laughs> because they always made me jump. Uh, that, that would have been one of the scenes where you would have been behind the couch. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the thing that I liked uh, probably uh, the most about classic who, when I was a kid is that because everything was s- done in such a practical way, everything felt real world. And so it was believable when they did a good job with, you know, a costume and, and a, you know, how they framed a shot and that kind of thing. And they pulled off a jump scare like that. It was believable, you know, to, to a kid when they're watching this, you know, and it would actually make you jump and, you know, sometimes scare you, you know, I think that they did a really good job with that stuff, you know? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, but she's able to, you know, crank the TARDIS door back open and dashes out into the night to try and escape. They should do that at some point in the new series. They should bring back the hand crank at some point just <laughs> just to pay homage to this, because uh, those those are the things I think that make the classic series, you know, a little bit more charming, I think. Yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> and the the mismatched doors on the inside and the outside of the TARDIS, um, I was like that. But that never just... bothered me, you nope. know. Nope. Uh, because when I was a kid, I was thinking, well, it's just it's cloaked on the outside, so that's the reason why it looks different on the inside. And then that was like probably the first thing they changed when they when they rebuilt the TARDIS for the new series, and I was going, I don't know that I. I don't know that it makes sense to me <laughs> just to see it that way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know why I brought that up. Um, because it's cool. Yeah, okay. There you go. <laughs> uh, but she escapes and manages to run straight towards this giant city. And it's this giant gleaming city with this beacon on top that is, you know, flashing at regular intervals. Yeah. Unfortunately, of course, this city is uh, considered sacred to the Exelons, and no one except the priests are allowed near it. And so Sarah Jane is captured and taken away back to the high priest for judgment. The doctor, meanwhile, has escaped his captors uh, with some Venusian karate, uh, which... <laughs> If you watch enough John Pertwee, you'll find he is 
very good at using his Venusian karate. Yeah. But uh, he runs into a Marine Space Corps expedition who are in the same predicament as the Doctor in that their ship has lost all power. Uh, and one of their men... No, the, their captain is injured. Uh, one of their men is has been killed by the Exelons. And the Doctor goes back with them. He finds out that they are on Exelon to uh, collect the rare mineral perineum. Uh, because it's found in large quantities on Exelon, and it is needed to cure a galactic plague uh, in the uh, the outlying colonies. Uh, there's this plague that is running rampant, and the perineum is the only thing that can uh, not only cure, but also basically inoculate people against this plague. While the doctor is... Uh, catching up with the situation with the uh, Marine Space Corps expedition, they overhear another ship coming in for a landing. They see it land in the next valley, they go to greet it, and guess who comes out but the Daleks. See, this, of course, you know I, I like to connect the dots with all these different stories and stuff. Yes, yes. And, and at first I was trying to figure out whether or not this was the same element that they were looking for in the Daleks master plan, because I was like, uh, you know, well, this could be them sending out a party to look for this element, you know, to carry back to the other story, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, but of course they're not the same. They're two different elements. Yeah. Uh, Was it ter, terranium? Yeah. It would have been really, interesting i think to have tied the two together that way though see that was back when they told a lot more standalone stories and stuff and stuff though if uh stephen moffat was doing it today he would have probably had some type of tie-in like that oh yeah you know uh, because yeah. those it's it's amazing to me how many tie-ins he'll actually have as throwaway lines in stories you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of ridiculous sometimes <laughs> there's a balance between no tie-ins and everything's a tie-in well i just i thought it would have been interesting because these stories are told by the same writer you know and mm-hmm. because because he's done a pretty good job you know expanding on the characters, expanding on the the mythos of the Daleks and things like that. Uh, when we get to see a loose tie-in to another story, to me it just makes the connective tissue to those stories a little bit richer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it would be different if we were tying in Buku of stories that are unrelated in any way, you know, uh, right. and just having them tie together just for the sake of tying them together. But we're talking about, you know, the same enemy being on this almost same mission in each story because they're 
conquest is pretty much the same. They're just trying a different method to go about it. And so I think that when we do get to see those tie-ins, it helps sometimes to make the, the, the universe richer and to make the mythos richer, you know? Right. Well, the, the unfortunate thing for the Daleks is that they sort of lose faith face when they, uh, when they show up because, you know, they, they come out of their (laughs) ship and they're like, you know, exterminate, exterminate. And they, you know, start firing their little energy weapons, but, they don't they, do anything. They don't do anything. And so they're just <laughs> sitting here going... <laughs> and nothing the comes out. <laughs> nothing happens. And the doctor, of course, starts laughing in their eye stalks about the whole situation. This is a plot hole to me. Okay. Because here's where I had a big question mark. Why is the power being drained from their weapons and their ship but not from their motor devices in their tank suits. The doctor says in this episode that now they move with, what did he call it, psychokinetic, by psychokinetic power now? Is that what he said? They still have to have some type of energy, though, to move the tank suit along. I mean, it's being controlled by psychokinetics, but... They still have to have some type of energy source to move the mechanical part of the suit, you know. <laughs> it's a low energy power source. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That that was that was a question mark that I had because you know. That, to me, just seemed a little bit too convenient. Well, it's just one of those things that you end up having to look beyond Yeah. uh, for the sake (laughs) of the rest of the story. You just sort of go, okay, fine. I had to suspend my disbelief. (laughs) Yeah. Just so that I could could enjoy the story. Yeah. But that's one of the Uh, plot holes I was talking about. Gotcha. I wondered (laughs) if that was it. Um... (laughs) The the Daleks say that they are also there seeking the perineum because their own worlds are falling victim to this plague. That's what they say anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, we later find out that they may not be actually telling the truth because, I mean, Daleks don't lie to your face, do they? No. No, not at all. <laughs> they definitely don't lie about the fact that there aren't only four of them in the ship that there's actually you know like more um they never lie face to face they always lie face to eye stalk uh, yes that is true <laughs> uh, since they're all in the same predicament and they're all looking for the same thing the doctor the marines and the daleks are essentially forced into a a, a tense alliance uh to work together uh, and they decide that they need to go find the source of the energy drain so that everyone can escape. On their way to, you know, looking, they are attacked by a essentially an entire tribe of Exelons. One of the the Space Marines is uh, killed. He was the the stand-in commander 
who is actually a very reasonable man. Uh, the next in line is uh, Galloway, Lieutenant Galloway, and he's a little bit more of a hard-nosed, realist sort of guy. I was uh, going to say douche. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> um, and he ends up in control of the uh, the rest of the Space Marines. Everyone is all taken. The, the Daleks that are there, uh, one Dalek does escape and manages to get back to the ship and warn the rest of the Daleks about what has happened. And one Dalek gets destroyed during the capture. But the rest of the, the group, the two Daleks, are taken back to the caves where the Exelons are, preparing Sarah Jane for sacrifice. Now, is this the point where the Daleks retool their weaponry? Yes. I, the, the Daleks I on the ship so. are, are retooling their weaponry, and the, the one that escaped the ambush... Uh, bursts in on them. They have retooled their weaponry to basically fire bullets. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a purely mechanical system now. It's not an energy-based weapon. And uh, for target practice, I like that they, they used a, a miniature version of the TARDIS. Um, <laughs> so a, a an attack party is there, is, and of course, you know, prepared and sent out from the Dalek ship with these refitted weapons while Sarah is being prepared for a sacrifice. The doctor uh, basically jumps into the middle of the, the high priests and starts swinging, which is about the worst thing he could have done for himself because now he's going to share in her fate. He gets, you know, knocked out. And then the two of them are scheduled uh, to be sacrificed together uh, slightly later. <laughs> They will be exterminated. Yes. <laughs> the Daleks couldn't care less. Um, the Doctor and Sarah are being taken out of their uh, prison cage. It's not really a cell. It's a cage um, that everyone's sort of stuffed into. When Was it, a Dalek... wooden? Was it a wooden yeah. cage? It is. It I is a wooden so. cage. Looked like uh, something you'd see in a uh, Vietnam movie or something. Yeah, yeah. But they're being taken out and being prepped for sacrifice when the Dalek attack party shows up at the Exelon uh, location and just starts firing indiscriminately through the Exelons. Uh, the Doctor and Sarah manage to run away and dash down a, a, a tunnel system that is actually right exactly where the Exelons were going to sacrifice them to and drop them into because <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> where else would they go um wouldn't be doctor who if he didn't <laughs> exactly exactly uh the daleks then <clears throat> negotiate a deal with the ixalan high priest uh saying that the the natives are going to mine the perineum for them uh and the Space Marines are supposed to be in charge of wiping out a renegade group of Exelons. Uh, of course, this all ends up with the Daleks on top and in control of everything. Uh, and Galloway keeps trying to work with the Daleks to try and, you know, keep them, the humans, in a good enough position to get what they want as well. Much to the chagrin of the rest of the, the team there. In the tunnel... Uh, Sarah 
and the Doctor realize that this may not have been the best path they could have taken. I enjoyed this part. Okay. Do you want to... Yeah, I enjoyed this part. No, just keep going. Okay. <laughs> the Doctor then has her stay at a, at a junction where several paths lead off. He's going to go exploring down a couple of paths. There's a, a strange noise that they've been hearing throughout the tunnels. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a whirring, whooshing, roaring sound. Well, the Doctor rounds a corner and runs into this, what he later describes as a giant root from the city. I liked this thing. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was, And I thought the execution of it was, was pretty well done. Especially here in the cave. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it it was a clever idea, a neat design, and the execution was pulled off fairly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this thing sort of I, I guess is tracking the doctor's body heat uh, and it sort of rears back like a snake and tries to you know strike and touch him. The doctor of course is able to dodge and the place right behind him where he was standing, you know, endures a small explosion, essentially. See, I I felt like that this was something that I could have seen happen in the new series. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, this felt like some of the stuff we've seen in the new series, uh, especially the execution of it, because if they don't have to use computer-generated graphics, they prefer not to. You know, right. And so uh, I really like seeing elements in the classic series that visually kind of mesh with what we see sometimes in the new series, because I like it when it all feels like one big series. You know, I don't like to see that dividing line that, you know, makes it feel like two different shows because essentially it's all one show that is true um while sarah is waiting for the doctor and listening intently to see if she can hear what happens to the doctor uh she turns around and there coming up one of the tunnels behind her is an exelon a naked exelon well yes um (laughs) Turns out this Exelon is part of this renegade group. Now, what that means essentially is that this is a good person for Sarah and the Doctor to team up with. Because the renegade group basically says, the Exelons worship this city as a god. We -hmm. know it's not a god, and we know that it is evil, and we are trying to stop it. And because of that, they are shunned and hunted by their fellow Exelons. And wear no clothes in protest? Something. I don't know. <laughs> They're also different. They're also colored a little bit differently, too. They've got these sort of glowy stripes or, you know, almost, <laughs> almost like veins um, on them. Uh, and while Sarah is talking uh, with Belal, who, who's the leader of this group, Another one of these Exelons runs up and says, Quick! There are two Daleks coming down the tunnel after us. Um, Sarah 
Bilal and the other Exelon hide while the Daleks go through and, you know, take separate tunnels at this junction. One of them taking the tunnel the Doctor took. We know how this is going to go. The Doctor manages to dodge out of the way of this metallic snake-like root thingy. And the Dalek trundles its way right into the middle of the situation. And gets itself blowed up for its trouble. That felt like a Godzilla movie. Yeah. <laughs> it did. How so? It felt like a Godzilla movie because it was monster versus monster, basically. You know, uh-huh. it, it was uh, the only thing that was missing was the tiny little city along the bottom of the, of the battle. You know, <laughs> I like what happens here next when the doctor comes back mm-hmm. because uh, Sarah is looking down this tunnel and all of a sudden she sees creeping around the corner the gun stick of a Dalek. And so her eyes go wide and she's, you know, holding her breath. And then it comes further and further into view. And around the corner comes the doctor holding the end of this, this Dalek gun stick, obviously being the one who survived the situation. (laughs) But I just thought it was funny. Uh, It's probably important to keep in mind too, that this is Sarah Jane's first time ever to be on an alien planet. Yes. And it's only the second time that she has seen a non-human race since she's joined up with the doctor. Yes. Uh, the, her, the, her, yeah. The first one being in her first storyline, but it was right. on earth in the past. Yes. With a Santaran. Correct. Uh, and then the second episode, uh, second storyline she had was, invasion of the dinosaurs so there were just dinosaurs coming into you know modern london weird but yeah this is her first time mm-hmm. off earth and really getting to interact uh in a significant way with another alien race well that that is probably the reason i say that that is probably a significant thing to bring up is because the sarah jane that you see in this story does not behave quite the same way as Sarah Jane, say, two seasons later when it comes to dealing with, you know, an alien race on an alien planet. At this point, she's really overwhelmed. She's really scared. And it Mm -hmm. it shows, you know. Yeah. She's she's out of her depth. Right. And she's just sort of, like, hanging in there. (laughs) She's, you know... It's not one of these things where she's complete take charge. I'm going to do my own plan while the Dalek's doing right. uh, the, while the doctor's doing his plan. No, this is like, what are we doing, doctor? You know, she's like, <laughs> help me out here. So, um, <laughs> but she's able to sort of get Bell Al and the doctor connected and allied together, and they escape the other Dalek through the tunnels. Uh, Bilal reveals that the Exelons were once extremely technologically advanced, you know, many, 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 many years ago. Uh, And which is when they built this city that is able to uh, essentially repair itself. And it became almost an entity uh, on its own. Um, It it became self-aware. 
Yes. Which is interesting. Now, the Doctor and Belal agree that the, the way to, you know, stop the power drain, get everybody off the planet, and save Exelon is to find a way to destroy or uh, stop the city from operating the way it has been. Oh, so, I just realized what the city reminds me of. What? Skynet from Terminator. Oh, I haven't seen very much of Terminator. The only exception being that it has not fired off some type of weapon of mass destruction to destroy all life on the planet. Mm, okay. Yes, no, it. it this has not. Uh, uh, however, it could have gone in that direction if it so chose to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we'll see. It, it, it's not. Uh, we'll see later that it is not opposed to defending itself. The little group go to the city and the doctor and Belal uh, are preparing to find a way into the city. However, the doctor does not want Sarah to come with him. He's got another mission for her. She needs to prep the space marines to be ready to leave the planet as soon as they've stopped the beacon. Because the Daleks will be ready too, and the Daleks aren't going to let them leave. Uh, they also need to get the Perineum uh, on board the, the human ship. And so she's sent off to go figure out how to do that. Uh, while the Doctor and Bilal find their way into the city. Doctor trusts her a lot. Yeah. <laughs> to have only been this is their third outing together. He really yeah. trusts her for this to only be their third outing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is a testament to Sarah Jane. Yeah. Uh and it also just shows the predicament that they're in. It's like, <laughs> well, I kinda you have to do this. Um I put my life in your hands. <laughs> and he said he even tells her that if he doesn't come back that she needs to leave with the marines and go back to earth uh that if he doesn't come out alive but what, what if he comes back with a different face <laughs> thankfully we don't have to do that in this episode the interesting thing though is when he tells her this uh she's about to object and in in a move that really only John Pertwee is able to pull off as the doctor. Mm -hmm. He puts two fingers on her on her lips to 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 shush her, <laughs> and then like you know, lightly caresses the side of her face and then walks off towards the city, and she just sort of stops talking, which is remarkable in and of itself for Sarah Jane Smith. I just want to say that. Um, I don't think I could see Tom Baker doing that. No, no, he'd end up like sticking his finger up her nose on accident or something, you know. <laughs> Um, <laughs> only Pertwee was is able to sort of do that sort of thing and not be just odd. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's one of the things that that the third Doctor brings to the role is this this and you've mentioned it before. It's almost like a flirtatious thing, yeah. but it's also it's the bond factor. It, yeah, it is. It is the bond <laughs> factor. Uh, it's almost flirtatious, but you, you also. There's a deep sense of, of care yeah. that you can 
sense behind that too. It, um, it, she's she's money penny. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, Hello, money penny. <laughs> the doctor and Bilal get to the the edge of the city, and they're trying to find a way in. There's no clear door. And they figure out, thanks to some symbols on the outside of the wall, that there is a hidden entrance. Now, the Daleks also have the same idea. They have discovered that the city is likely the cause of the power drain. And so they have two plans to set in motion. Mm -hmm. One, they force the the two remaining men from the uh, Space Marine group to climb the outside of the city and place a bomb at the base of the uh, the beacon support strut uh, so they can blow that up. Two, a scientific research party of Daleks are going to find a way inside the city and see what they can discover. Of course, they follow right behind the Doctor and Bilal as they go inside the city. The interesting thing about this whole scenario once they're inside the city is that it becomes a series of intelligence tests to keep moving on, getting to the next level, so to speak, and to get deeper and deeper into the city. Almost like a video game. It is a little bit. Uh, It becomes like a a Mm -hmm. puzzle-solving story rather than, you know, race against time sort of scenario one thing i do want to bring up is that the music in this episode there's a you know a a specific uh melody i suppose you could call it that gets played a lot and it works in some places and doesn't work in others Mm -hmm. as they're going through the city and sort of solving and working out some of these problems i think it works however they also use this music when they are showcasing the Daleks. And I don't think it quite works because it's uh, it's very much like a clarinet and a little drum or something. And it's, and it's something similar to like, bump, 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 bump. And that's, that's how it goes. And it's very, it's, it's not, tension inducing it's not uh the tempo of it is not quick mm-hmm. at all sort of similar to some of the scenes that we had in day of the daleks, day of the daleks. yeah, yeah. and was... and like i said when when they're in the rooms trying to solve some of these puzzles and that sort of thing mm-hmm. it works because it's sort of pondering and like trying to figure this out mm-hmm. but when you've got a chase going on or you're on the Dalek ship, listening to them talk, and it's mm-hmm. plays once or twice at the beginning of the scene, it doesn't quite fit to me. There was so. a lot of the music in Day of the Daleks that fit, but then when you used it in certain action sequences and stuff, it almost made the action sequence feel comical, where it should have felt mm-hmm. exciting. You know? Yeah. The Doctor and Belal are barely managing to keep ahead of the Daleks as they solve these puzzles and get deeper and deeper into 
the city. Uh, well, see, I actually enjoyed the maze-like element of this. Mm-hmm. But certain pieces of this, to me, felt a little bit anticlimactic. Okay. Because this is supposed to be ramping up to the end of your story. You know, right. this is supposed to be where the the intensity level for the story increases, where the... Uh, not the necessarily the excitement level, but the the tension level should mm-hmm. be ramping up to meet your climax of your story at this point, and it it felt like that it kind of it go up a little and then it would just plateau, and then it would yeah. go up a little more and then it would just plateau. You know, you, it, it wasn't a steady climb. Right, you weren't getting that steady climb like you would get in some of the other stories that we've seen. Um, right. And I felt like that this in particular would have been uh, one of the areas where I felt like that maybe a special edition element could have helped that just a little bit. You know, whether it be tweaking a little bit of the editing or tweaking a little bit of the elements in the puzzles and stuff to make them feel a little bit more threatening. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, not that they weren't executed well in general. It's just, you know, uh, for example, you know how sometimes you'll see uh, in a movie or something where they come up on a hallway and there's like laser beams and stuff that they have to get through and that kind of thing. And you have that tension level because you, you know, you're thinking, well, if they hit this laser beam, they're going to get cut in half or something, you know, um, you didn't have any of those elements that made it feel more tense and more threatening, really, you know? Yeah. To, to use that, that sort of example that you gave, there is a section where they're, they come to a section of, of hallway where there's different colored tiles on right. the floor. And the doctor sort of looks at this and goes, okay, well, step here, step here, step here, do this. And they get across it. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, well, why did we do that? Right. And then the doc and, and Bell Al says, why did we have to do that? Was it necessary? And the doctor goes, well, I think so. And then he takes out a little coin from his jacket, tosses it on there. Mm-hmm. And the red tiles are electrified basically. Right. And it, it would have killed them. And I think you would have been able to ratchet up the tension a little bit more if you had demonstrated how dangerous this was first right. before you crossed. Right. Um, it just seemed a little bit backwards there. Yeah. Uh, the this the last two tests though, I think were executed very well. Uh, the the one where the city almost tries to take over Belal's mind, mm-hmm. so that Belal tries to kill the doctor. With the uh, the Dalek gun stick that they're still holding on to, mm-hmm. and then they get out, and the doctor's able to help him, you know, get through that. And then the two of them are basically outside the command center of the city, and they are attacked. They they receive a huge attack on their sanity. Right. Uh, and the two, it's you know, searing pain in the brain and all that fun stuff. Um, and the doctor denying its existence 
because it was a loot an illusion uh, was a great little sequence there and I think that worked well it was some of this stuff before those that I think mm-hmm. could have like you said benefited well, from tweaking even if you just tightened it up just a little bit with the editing you know it would have made it feel a little i don't i don't want to say like super fast paced or anything but it would have made it feel a little bit quicker beat in certain mm-hmm. places so it wouldn't have felt so much like it plateaued you know it would have felt more like there was a gradual increase of the tension and everything as opposed to okay we got through this now we can just casually walk along until we find something else to you know, run into right. kind of thing. And, of course, after getting through that last test, the Doctor and Bellal are able to go into the command center. Meanwhile, Sarah Jane has found the the Dalek mining camp where they've been forcing the Exelons to uh, mine the Perinium and where they are keeping Jill, the only civilian member of this human expedition, uh, captive as a hostage. Sarah and Jill, uh, Sarah is able to sneak up and get Jill's attention, and they hatch a plan to replace the Daleks' bags of perineum with uh, sacks of sand, and then get the perineum to the human ship. Uh, And unfortunately, due to the way the story is set up, we don't see much of that plan in action. No. Uh, and I think I'll get to I, I'm, I'll get to the end of this, and I, I almost think this story might have benefited from one more episode. You think? Maybe. I mean, it depends on what you do with it, because mm-hmm. there's some parts that I think could have been trimmed a little bit, uh, but then there's other things I think would have been helpful to see as well. Um, so maybe, maybe next episode, <laughs> maybe just a slight working <laughs> of the script. Now you sound like uh, you're describing the Hobbit movies. <laughs> Oh, I love the Hobbit movies. I just felt like that there were some things that they should have cut out so that they could have let you see other things, you know. Okay. <laughs> because if you look yeah. at all the special edition extended versions, the stuff that's in the extended version should have been in the theatrical cut and cut out some of the fat that was in the theatrical cut. Wow. <laughs> but... but we're talking about <laughs> basically death to the dollar. Basically, the, the same thing that you're referring to here, though. They could have trimmed some of the fat in exchange for putting in more interesting story elements. Yeah, and I think, I think showing Jill and Sarah uh, trying to work around the Daleks in order to escape with the perineum uh, would have also. Uh, help to to keep the tension level rising if you were cutting back and forth between the doctor and Sarah mm-hmm. uh, rather than getting some of those plateaus like you were talking about. But we didn't really get that. Uh, we just sort of see that they've accomplished their plan so, and the Dalek should, guard... saying that they should have done a duel of the fates. There's one thing you can say about Star Wars is that they know how to cut back exactly. and forth between climactic or, or sequences. Or Return of the Jedi, you know. Yeah, yes, uh, exactly. That's one of the most perfect you know. examples um, of, of climax cutting back and forth yeah. between. Anyway, uh, 
but this this could have worked really well here. It it could have, um, but we do get to see that the Dalek, at the end of it all, realizes that Jill is gone, and in an interesting thing, uh, a little bit different than what we saw in Planet of the Daleks, where uh, one of the Daleks failed repeatedly and was then exterminated by the the supreme commander that came in at the towards the end of the story arc mm-hmm. uh, this dalek in death to the daleks realizes it has failed and uh self-destructs because <laughs> he knows he's going to get destroyed anyway <laughs> right <laughs> right I just thought that was interesting. It was like, I have failed, I have failed, initiate self-destruct, self-destruct. <laughs> yeah. He shut off his life support. But, That's anyway. Actually kind of messed up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, Galloway and uh, the other uh, human male uh, have planted their bomb at the base of the beacon and have returned back down to the ground. They are then ordered to take the sacks of perineum and load it onto the Dalek ship before they blow up the beacon. Of course, nobody knows by this time that that's actually the sacks of sand that Sarah and Jill have uh, switched out for. And Galloway is also hiding one of the bombs that they were given in the coat of his jacket which the Daleks must not be very observant because that's a very tight jacket and you could totally tell that he had something hiding in his jacket. Um, but I digress. The doctor and Belal are in the command center and the doctor sets to rewiring some of the, uh, essentially the motherboards that make up the brain of the city at this point uh, in order to give it a nervous breakdown. Belal notices that the city is creating antibodies to fight them off and to protect the city. And, of course, this is when the Daleks show up as well. They're trying to make it go haywire? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, now we've got the whole situation where the Doctor and Belal are, are trying to dodge the antibodies and the Daleks while at the same time finishing their task, which they are able to do. One of the Daleks get, it gets its uh, <laughs> its gunstick ripped out <laughs> and crushed by one of the antibodies. Okay. And... I have to ask. Okay. Did this remind you at all of the Frankenstein's monster scene from the chase? Yes. <laughs> yes, it did. Because the, these antibodies are essentially humanoid-shaped things that are gray and lumpy. and They're synthetic uh, synthetic life forms, right? Um, yeah. But, but similar to what happened in The Chase where Frankenstein <laughs> uh, kind of just <laughs> tore into a Dalek. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the antibodies are unkillable <laughs> and the Daleks are unable to overcome them. So the doctor and Belal dash out. The Daleks start dashing out as well as, well, you know, rolling out or 
skimming out or whatever it is the Dalek does. Uh, but they escape as well. Hover? Hover? Yes. Maybe that's... Well, that's they, they sort of uh, remind me of hovercrafts, but, you know. But everyone gets out of the city alive, and that is when the Dalek bomb at the base of the beacon goes off. Destroying the beacon and allowing power to return back to all the ships and everything. The Daleks then threaten everyone at, you know, gun stick point <laughs> to allow them back onto their ships so they can take off and leave with all the perineum so that uh, Earth and the other human colonies will be forced to bow to their wishes in order to save their puny human lives, essentially. And they will be uh, leaving a plague missile... Mm-hmm. as a parting gift on Exelon uh, because it turns out the Daleks are the ones that have started this plague in the first place. And they wanted the cure so yes. that they wouldn't get it themselves. Exactly. Um, seeing a pattern here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dalek, Daleks are uh, big thinkers yeah. and overreach with their plungers just a little bit. Just a little bit sometimes. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Galloway has stowed aboard the Dalek ship as it lifts off. And before the Daleks can fire their plague missile onto Exelon, he sets off the bomb that he's had hidden away in his coat pocket uh, and sacrifices himself to destroy the Daleks and save everyone. Just when you Huzzah. thought this guy could not be a bigger douchebag. He goes and does something heroic. Golly. And totally redeems himself. <laughs> right. Uh, so we're left with one more lieutenant and uh, Jill from the human expedition left alive. But they have all the perineum on their ship. And now they can take off thanks to Sarah and Jill's plan. Uh, and the city, due to the Dalek bomb... And the cross-wiring of the brain that the doctor engineered then begins to crumble. And well, the last of this episode is essentially watching the city crumble and fall and it, disintegrate. It's synthetic immune system, or artificial immune system, whatever you want to call it, that kept itself repairing over centuries, has turned on itself, and now it is basically eating itself from the inside and it's sort of screaming sort of the city itself is is sort which of is really and... weird you know yeah <laughs> yeah mm. It, it was just kind of creepy kind of just not creepy just unsettling at the end of it uh and uh, the doctor who at the beginning of the story arc had called that city one of the 700 wonders of the universe Ends the the story arc by saying, well, now the universe only has 699 wonders. And then we get the... And the credits yeah. roll, and, and that's how it ends. <laughs> yep, there we go. <laughs> so, now that we've gone through this, uh, any further thoughts on, on Death to the Daleks? I enjoyed it, which I, I enjoy... I have been enjoying uh, a lot of classic Who lately. Um, like I said before, it's not my favorite 
but it is a good story. It is a good, and I think it's fitting for the most part with what we've seen so far. Um, it's, it's the, 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 the scheming and, and everything feels right along the lines of what we know the Daleks to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so for me, it is just kind of feels like it just another piece of the puzzle, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to let us see a little bit more of where the Daleks are going with this. Yeah. You're very right. The, the from the Dalek perspective, their their scheming and their plotting is definitely spot on. Uh, they they're that is one of the the better elements of the story. It is not an overly exciting story. Uh, it's a little bit more measured. It's a little bit slower moving, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, it is a little bit more uh, cerebral than some other Dalek stories, but uh, it's not—it's not the most exciting Dalek episode. Not as exciting as watching the special edition of Day to the Daleks. Not as exciting or as intriguing as Planet of the Daleks to me, but I do like it. Uh, it's got its good elements, and Bilal is definitely uh, a good character that the Doctor is able to interact with, and I, I do like him a lot in this story. And it, it almost be, he almost becomes the Doctor's companion yeah. for the second half of the story. It, it actually made me because I liked this race uh, and and how he portrayed the race. It almost makes me want to see them at some point in the future, you know. Uh, yeah. kind of a revisiting of that race. I think that I think yeah. that could be fun. How tiny though was the actor that played this guy? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he was smaller. He was smaller than Elizabeth yeah, Slayton, which is hard to she's do. She's little, um, you know. <laughs> she she's not a she's not a big person. No. She's a small person, and uh, he was even smaller. <laughs> I mean, he. Uh, it almost makes me wonder if it was played by a child, you know, and just had a voiceover. Um, no, it definitely, it, it, the, the mannerisms and the control yeah. uh, that he had in the physical characterization of the character, uh, he definitely had to be an older, more experienced actor. Uh, he's just a small person. Uh, Very like to me. small guy. Small and, <laughs> and slender. Let me see. Played. By, I'm looking up the cast list. Arnold Yarrow. I don't know. I'm clicking on him. See what he Google. looks like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Overall, um, how many Daleks would you rate? Death to the Daleks. Uh, now, now that we're we finished the third Doctor's Dalek story arcs, how would you rate Death to the Daleks? Well. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a seven. A seven. Yeah, because I feel like that anything lower than that would be unfair. Because it is a good story and it's well acted, and even though I do have 
a couple of, you know, minor, you know, qualms with it. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really anything in it that took me out of the story, uh, other than, you know, the plot point that I had with the power thing, you know. Um, yeah. But that's just me being, being me, you know. I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, wait a minute, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I, I enjoyed it. it. It was, it had just enough, uh, just enough uh, of a similar feel to it to feel both like the stuff we had seen come before and some of the stuff that we've seen in the new series. Uh, I felt like, you know, and so I, I felt like that it had a good bridging of classic elements and, and even a modern feel to it somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. That there were definitely uh, things about it that, that were very, very right. Yeah. As far as, especially as far as the Daleks were concerned. Uh, and, and for that, uh, while some of the execution and some of the pacing towards the end uh, issues aside, uh, I'm I'm going to have to give it a seven as well. It, it's six and a half is too low for this episode, uh, but seven and a half is too yeah. high. So it, it, a seven is. Do you think be... you could have given it a slightly higher rating if it was a special edition? That would depend on how they did it. Mm-hmm. It would really depend on how they did it. If it was one of those things where they uh, they redid some of the editing a little bit uh, for the for the end there, uh, and I think the music in just one or two key places mm-hmm. being changed. Well, now there was some editing changes done in the special editions of Day of the Daleks. So, you know, if mm-hmm. if they did a special edition, they would probably do some editing changes as well. If they if they had just changed that music in one or two specific places, mm-hmm. I think that would have been particularly uh, added some on that final chase out of the city. Because I don't think was there any music there, or did it, or was it that that musical? I honestly don't remember at this point. I want to say that there was a little bit, but it wasn't very exciting. You know, it's like you said before. Uh, it wasn't until we got, you know, somewhere in the middle toward the end, I think, of the fourth Doctor, uh, up into the fifth Doctor, before they started figuring out, hey, we can use music to make it more exciting, you know, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to just atmospheric. Um, right. But uh, uh, were there any elements, in your opinion, in this that felt sort of timeless to you? Or did it feel dated, to, in your opinion? Mm, elements. Uh, well, I, I, as I've said, the, the characterization of the Daleks mm-hmm. is spot on. Uh, and I really do like the characterization and the interaction between the Doctor and uh, Bellow. Mm-hmm. I just think due to the, the filming style and, and the clothing style and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. it's just going to stay looking a little bit dated. Mm-hmm. But the, some of the characterizations and some of the character interactions are definitely things that 
uh, I would say would be uh, timeless. There were there were so. some places in this for me where the tone of how it was done made it feel somewhat timeless to me. Um, not so much the clothing, uh, but you know, like mm-hmm. the uh, when the doctor uh, came across the root, you know, to me that didn't really feel dated to me. That felt like something that you could see in modern day special effects and stuff, you know, and so for me, that actually enhanced it for me because I felt like that looked real to me, you know, uh, as opposed to, hey, you could see a piece of fishing wire with a, you know, string that holds the thing up. You know, to me, the movement was good. The, you know, the execution of how they operated it, you know, that kind of thing just felt right to me. And so to me that mm-hmm. that did not feel dated to me in, in those areas, you know. To me that had more of a timeless feel to it. Okay. Uh, and of course we'll come up on uh, you know the fourth doctor next, but uh, mm-hmm. especially for me when we start getting into the fourth doctor, there's a lot of times in the fourth doctor's run where it really sort of feels timeless to me. You know, it doesn't feel quite as dated as some of the stuff we've seen before, in my opinion, you know. And to me, that's when Doctor Who is kind of at its best, is when you watch it and it doesn't scream out to you at the time period in which it was made. You know, it it has more of a, a, a timeless feel to it. Okay. Well, uh, now that we have seen the third Doctor run across the Daleks, was there anything in particular about the way that John Pertwee dealt with the Doctor, the Daleks that you noticed was different or unique to the third Doctor from what we saw with the first and second Well, doctors? the third Doctor is unique in his, his own right. But um, to me, this sort of felt a little bit like a natural progression from what we saw with Patrick Troughton, you know, mm-hmm. and what we saw with Patrick Troughton felt like a natural progression for me from what we saw uh, from the first doctor, you know? And so to me, it, what we're seeing so far has just kind of felt like the doctor is just naturally evolving as a person i guess you know um so to Mm -hmm. speak uh he he became uh more energetic and and more active and everything as the second doctor and then even more so as the third doctor uh even to the point of you know like we said uh doing his uh venusian uh aikido Or karate. Um, and so I really, I, I liked the element of it uh, that we got to see where he, at some points, almost felt like that he was playing with the Daleks a little bit, mm. you know. Um, even though he took them seriously as a threat, you know, it was like 
he wasn't going to let them know that he took them seriously as a threat. It was, he was going to kind of poke the bear with the stick, so to speak, you know? Right. Um, and, and I like that about his interactions with them. One of the things I think I've noticed, and this is just coming from the fact that I've been able to, to watch a lot of these other storylines that we're going to be getting to soon uh, already, is that this appears to be the last time the Doctor sort of interacts with the Daleks without that element of of hatred for the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Because especially when we get uh, into the situation with what we're going to get next with the fourth Doctor and Davros, yeah. the hatred really starts to come out, and then that continues to grow as we see each subsequent interaction between the doctor and the Daleks till, you know, we get what we get with, you know, Christopher Eccleston in, uh, Dalek, which is ridiculous, uh, and, and kind of incredible to see where the doctor (laughs) got to at that point. But I love it. Um, (laughs) it is, it is a great scene. And of course we'll get there uh, eventually, but, but this is the last time that the doctor really sort of like deals with the Daleks as sort of a, a civilization that maybe might have the ability to change. Mm-hmm. Well, the interesting thing about it is our next review, we get to see where the Daleks came from. And I mm-hmm. think that once the doctor gets to see where the Daleks came from and how they were intentionally created. He, his entire viewpoint, I think changes at that point. And we will get into that with our next episode, Genesis of the Daleks. Um, but until then, if you want to, uh, which is one of your absolute favorite stories. Well, it, ha- it has on. my favorite doctor who villain in it. <laughs> well, yeah. Of course, of course, but, uh, until we get there, folks, if you want to interact with us, tell us what you think about Death to the Daleks, uh, if we were a little bit too harsh on it, in your opinion, or whatever. Uh, please interact with us. Let, tell us your thoughts on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash TalkingTimeLord. You can tweet at us at TalkingTimeLord or email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Of course, our TARDIS on the internet, our website is talkingtimelords.com and uh as i've said before paul creates great cover art for all of these podcasts uh, episodes so i i thoroughly enjoy seeing them on our website there and if you have difficulty remembering uh any of the information that we just gave you it's all connected to the website so yes the website has links to everything including Um, our email And, of course, please be sure to leave us a kind rating and review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever else you find our fine podcast. We would greatly appreciate that. Or multiples, Um, if you feel like it. Yeah, yeah, you know. (laughs) As long as it's good. Yes. Indeed. Uh, Anything else, Paul, before we wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords? I want to see what would happen... If K9 met Davros. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
Affirmative. Uh, all right. Well, I think that'll wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords with that thought in your mind, folks. So this has been episode number 33, Death to the Dalek Story Review. For Paul, I'm Jason. And remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows. consider doing a mashup at some point <laughs> oh man that's funny davros versus Kenan. well they've got similar mobility <laughs> oh similar mobility does not necessitate uh equal skill level one has a laser and one has a lightning glove. <laughs>